GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. Welcome everyone to another episode of Health Cert's GP Insights podcast. Today we are talking about cosmetic injectables with Dr. Helena Rosengren, a director of skin repair and skin cancer clinic and skin innovation cosmetic clinic in Townsville. And she's also a senior lecturer at James Cook University. Welcome, Helena, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Megan. Now, to get started, tell us a little bit about yourself, your professional journey, and what you do now. Thank you, Megan. Yes, my my journey in skin cancer medicine started 18 years ago when I I left general practice, a, a disillusioned doctor, and I have found it enormously satisfying career wise. Um, I started off working in a corporate clinic and after five years um, actually left to set up my own clinic to address the needs of our community, um, which included uh, introducing total body photography and um, photodynamic therapy, which we weren't doing in that corporate clinic. Um, and from there we build, we are a training practice. We look after registrars um, in their final term, basically, if they choose to go on to do a six-month specialist uh, training protocol in skin cancer medicine, and we've gradually built. We've now got a um, clinic that houses five full-time doctors and uh, a large community of patients. We've seen well over 25,000 patients that we, many of whom we continue to see regularly, a lot of whom are high risk. And um, the whole journey has been enormously satisfying. So uh, I've been fortunate as well to teach. So I am teaching uh, medical students at James Cook University and also teaching at various workshops um, to GP colleagues um, through the country, and um, I've been involved in a little bit of research along the way too. Would you like to know a little bit about cosmetics? Yeah, such yeah. a diverse um, yeah. story and journey that you've taken. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, which so, leads us right into yeah, what made you interested in opening your own cosmetic clinic and adding cosmetic services to your practice? That that journey started soon after I had established my own clinic and really what precipitated that was the gentle encouragement of friends who wanted cosmetic treatments (laughs) so initially I really wasn't that keen because I I felt it was fairly frivolous and um, that skin cancer medicine uh, was was much more serious than that but I am I am pretty meticulous Um, I really love detail and um, I suppose I'm pretty creative too so I view cosmetic medicine a little bit like sculpturing and it's actually highly satisfying so I did in the end go and get some training Um, and and initially that just grew in-house under the umbrella of the skin cancer clinic with patients just gradually getting to hear that that they could have cosmetic treatments. But my interest in cosmetic management um, grew as I started to really see 
that it had much greater potential. For example, I was seeing patients with hair loss. I was seeing teenagers with and young adults with acne scarring because I developed a, an interest in treating acne. And, um, of course, there were patients with scars that perhaps were less than optimal despite our very best efforts. So it, it seemed the obvious thing to um, expand upon and eventually, we, we got so busy actually on the cosmetic side, um, word of mouth, particularly with our interest in scar treatment and hair loss treatment, that eventually when the opportunity came up to expand the building next door, it was actually a butcher before. People find it quite funny that the butcher turned into the cosmetic clinic. But <laughs> um, we, yes, we... we it, embrace that opportunity and we've created a beautiful space with four treatment rooms um, and an additional little waiting room and um, it's been a beautiful journey. Yeah must have been very nice to get started knowing you had a group of patients that wanted your services and as you mentioned it's a different sort of it's artistry everyone's face is different there are so many you know adjustments to be made for each individual person must be quite fulfilling I imagine it actually is yes so of those um, which treatments do you perform most regularly our reform model now is that our nurses refer to me and the referrals that I get now are injectables and hot plasma or jet plasma treatment which we particularly do for saggy eyelids Okay, thank you for sharing. That's really interesting. Speaking of injectables, which seem to be one of the most frequently requested cosmetic services across the country and the world, uh, what type of patients do you see that usually seek these treatments? Is, is there a specific gender, age or skin type? And do you refer your skincare to patients to your cosmetic clinic as well? For me personally, the patients that I tend to see are middle-aged and even older ladies. I, I, I guess from the 40 to 70-year age bracket mainly. Um, many of them are professional women. Um, and maybe that is a little bit word of mouth. Women don't tend to shout from the rooftops. The old ladies, at least middle-aged women, don't tend to shout from rooftops that they've had cosmetic treatments done. They might tell a best friend, but I get a lot of the best friends coming along. <laughs> no, they might share it with just one other person. That's been my experience. I do have had some younger women come to me over time. who do quite well if they're just after the muscle relaxants. But a lot of the younger ladies really are of the big lips and I'm afraid I can't do it. So I actually send them away because I'm not the best person for them. I, I really am not able to create a, a look that's unnatural. It's, um, I refuse to do it. I, I don't think it's fair on those young ladies. But they, they I think, find alternative practitioners you are happier to perform that for them. Yeah, exactly. If it's not something you want to or can provide, then that's completely yeah within your 
power and it's good that you're able to mm. um, redirect them, I guess. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So is there any common questions you get from patients about cosmetic injectables? Because of the age group that mm. I attract, I hear the same thing again and again, and it, it tends not to be a question so, so much as a, 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 I guess, a little drama play where they pull back the jawline just in front of the ears and, and they're basically expressing that they want to do something about the jowl. So again and again and again, that's what ladies want. They really don't like that sagging jawline and the way that it makes them look miserable and the fact that they're often being asked, what's the matter? You know, there's no need to be so, so cross or so sad or what's wrong? Um, I think the second most common thing that I'm asked about is frown lines. People are always saying I'm cranky, and I'm actually not. You know? Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now, when you deliver injectables, what is your particular approach and the process you follow for your patients from first consultation through to treatment? Uh, are there any before and after pictures as well as aftercare? Well, initially, I sit down to my ladies with my ladies. I've have had them referred to me from our wonderful nurses, but I still like to sit down properly and see what it is they're wanting to achieve. And I actually have a sheet in front of me to remind me about some of those general questions. I want to know what their skincare routine is currently, check that there's nothing major that's missing from that or that we might be able to help them with. I want to know exactly what they're after and make sure that their expectations are realistic. Um, we, we, we're definitely going to make a difference and we're going to help them uh, with those concerns of looking miserable or looking angry. <laughs> um, and the, you know, the general aging concerns but we are not going to make them look 20 again. So it's very important that we've had that consultation. Um, Next, I, I explain what it is that we can do. I'll generally take a photograph and then uh, use a drawing tool so that we can really talk about what can be done, what might be achieved, and then I carefully cost it out with them as well. Then we come up with a plan. Now, they might, if time permits, I will do something on the day. It's unusual for me to do nothing because that's been the expectation in having a referral to me. Um, but we might have a plan to do things over two or three sessions, depending on that lady. Some people want to get everything over and done with. For some, what they're wanting is just too big for the time that's been allowed. So I redirect them. And they're usually very happy with that. And once we've decided what we're doing for today, I carefully go through the side effects and also potential complications and explain our follow-up. I'll make sure that patients always have my phone number. If it's um, fillers that I'm given, Giving. We've talked carefully about the potential for vascular complications, 
the time frame where that will happen, how they contact me, which would normally be the clinic if it's in clinic hours, but they always have my mobile number as well. And um, if it's, for example, an under eye filler that I'm giving, I, I've got a planned approach with that. So if they were, if anyone was ever to feel there was a visual issue, I actually ask the patient to get straight to casual. Let me know, and I will meet them there with the hyaluronidase and contact an eye surgeon on the way. Now, fortunately, I've, I, well, I've been extremely fortunate. We've never had a serious complication, um, but my feeling is that I would much rather have really thought through what I'm going to do, what we're going to do, so I'm not thinking on the fly. Patients know what to do, and um, you know they have been properly warned, properly consented. Um, they know if they're taking a small risk. Obviously, it's it's a very tiny risk when it comes to uh, visual disturbance. If you are using cannulas, having done all that, um, with prep, I'll make sure I'm sterilizing properly. That I've left sufficient time for that to to work. And I try and do as few injections as, as, as I can, obviously appropriately. Um, I tend not to really draw out on the face where I have to inject. I do it a lot by eye. And I think this is something that comes with time. Uh, years ago, I would have used the pen more and um, planned. But I think, I think with time, if, if you have that aesthetic eye, you, you're more looking around the patient 3D and seeing actually where some additional filler might be needed or just, just doing it by eye really. And that's, that's really why it's, it is um, quite an artistic, aesthetic um, practice. Thank you for sharing your step-by-step -step process and you know it's great to hear how you're prepared as well as your patients are prepared for any adverse reactions that may happen because it, everyone always feels more confident and comfortable with that in mind from the outset. Um, you mentioned there haven't been any serious or major complications but have there been any adverse reactions at all at your clinic and if so how did you handle um, when it when it comes to muscle relaxants, of course, occasionally there'll be a little bit of asymmetry, especially with the first visit, where you don't really know where the underlying musculature is. Um, of, and then I'll make a very clear note about that, so in future I know that perhaps I need a little bit more under the medial eyebrow or wherever it might be to prevent asymmetry or reduce it so so that's really a common side effect and that will happen from time to time now I've never had a problem fortunately with immediate anaphylaxis or any embolic phenomenon at this stage uh, but I do carefully explain to all the patients that it definitely could happen you know with time and that we, we're going to take every precaution that we can to prevent it. I have had some occasional issues, maybe three patients I can think of perhaps, who've had some swelling following on from 
their injectables. If it's in the short term after a filler, I would tend to treat that with antihistamines, steroids, daily follow-up, lot of hand-holding, sending photos, you know, texting. I'm a lot in contact with my patients. I'm in contact with my patients regardless of complications, like following on from injectables. I'll send a little note. By the way, here's, here's my contact number. Hoping all's going well. You know, be sure to be in touch. Um, I, I think maybe sometimes doctors are afraid to do that. Uh, because they fear that the patients will be in constant contact. But that has really never been my personal experience. I think patients are very respectful of my personal number and very grateful that I'm reaching out and letting them know, you know, how to contact me if they need to. And, and I think I sleep more easily too, you know, knowing that they'll come back to me as the first port of call rather than a colleague who may not know how to treat something. So getting back to your question, I have had um, a, probably two cases now where we've had delayed swelling um, or even uh, a nodule, a nodule form on one occasion. So by delayed, I mean weeks later. And there's no other reason for it. The only thing is that they had an injectable in that area some weeks earlier. Um, when you go to the literature to read up about this, it doesn't seem to be related to infection and it's not related to allergy or sensitivity. Really, it's, it's unknown why sometimes we get these delayed reactions. And um, there can be a little bit of hand-holding. Maybe some will settle down. But I think very often, if it's a delayed reaction like that, very often they're not going to settle down. And sometimes the best approach is simply to dissolve it with higher layers, warn the patient. That means it's all going to disappear. Um, what the research shows is that then if you go back to inject a few weeks later, they tend not to have that same reaction. So um, maybe it's a foreign body reaction uh, in some cases. With the two patients that I've had, they've chosen not to have further injectables, at least with me. So I don't know whether they would have got that again. But the literature certainly suggests uh, that people don't necessarily get that swelling again at all and that it's, it's just a one-off. Wow, thank you for sharing those examples. And even just to know, as a patient, I would deeply appreciate my doctor's phone number in this situation, <laughs> as I'm sure they do. And I have no doubt at all that has helped your word of mouth um, recommendations spread as well, because that next level of care just um, really is so beneficial. Yeah, mm. fantastic. Um, last but not least for today, what's your favourite practical tip when delivering injectables to ensure you get the best outcome? I think if I were taking a doctor or a nurse under my wing and doing a little bit of teaching, I'd talk about really the importance 
of clear instructions, making sure that you've got um, consent, truthful consent, where you've really gone into the details and a bit of an action plan for somebody should they get your complication and the photos. Photographs are really important so that if there is a complication, you've got something to go back to and heaven forbid if there is actually a legal case, you've also got some photographs there. It just shows good standard of care. I think when it comes to planning, it's really, really helpful to show patients photographs to explain um, what you're going to do, what the likely outcome is going to be. The other thing is, of course, patients themselves only see themselves face on. They don't see the perspective that others see. So it can be really helpful to show patients their side profile because sometimes when you're all getting this holistic view of the patient, you, you realise that where, where you need to put extra filler is medial cheeks or that they need um, some bulking of the chin, for example. And patients may not have seen that because they don't see their side profile. But if you just get those little things right, they'll instantly look more beautiful or younger and um, become more confident than in their own skin when they're seeing photographs down the track. Um, and, and, I, and I think it adds a lot to the face that they have in you as a doctor, that you're really looking holistically at them. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all of your experience and advice um, today with us. Now, I look forward to seeing you at the upcoming Skin and Skin Cancer Conference, where you're presenting on antibiotic prophylaxis for surgical site infection. Um, you'll be joined on stage by over 20 international experts and highly experienced local practitioners in Brisbane from the 21st to the 24th of July. While your presentation is related to skin cancer, the conference also covers demoscopy, aesthetics and general dermatology. Um, will you be attending the conference as well? And if so, what presentation are you most looking forward to? I'm so looking forward to this conference. I think it's a wonderful program and wonderful to bring in aesthetic medicine and dermatology as well as skin cancer medicine. And therein lies the conundrum. I don't know what to go to because I like to go to everything. That makes it very tricky. <laughs> um, demoscopy is always a favourite for me, though, and I will be going to the demoscopy masterclass with Giuseppe Genziano and um, Amelia's Lalas, which I'm tremendously looking forward to, and at least there's no competing workshops. <laughs> Thank you again, Helena. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to helpsert.com.